The Beers and Ears podcast is sponsored by Riss and Cal. This holiday season in your search for stocking stuffers, you don't have to be like the Mad Titan, scouring the universe to collect all six stones. Instead, find all the tech accessories you need for your friends and family in one place. Whether it's wireless neck fans for those warm days at the studios, or a waterproof case for when you're searching for that wandering rabbit, they've got an entire assortment. When you go to fourfrills.com shop, that's the number four, P-H-R-I-L-L-S dot com slash shop. Select your items and then use coupon code BEERS, B-E-E-R-S at checkout. You'll get 15% off your purchase. Don't forget that proceeds of the purchase go to help nonprofits and a portion of the proceeds help to support the Beers and Ears podcast as well. So head on over to fourfrills.com and use that promo code today to get a jump start on your holiday shopping. Let's start the show. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. There was an idea to bring together 23 episodes of a podcast about the Marvel Cinematic Universe so that when we needed it, we were ready for the premiere of Black Widow. This is That Podcast. And now for your hosts of the Beers and Ears Podcast, here's Casey Woolley and Matthew Brown. Hello, everyone, and welcome to day 14 of the Infinity Saga series. My name is Matt. And my name is Casey. Are we really almost two-thirds of the way through this, Matt? That blows my mind. We're moving through these really fast, and I have to say, I am really enjoying watching these movies so close together. I am, too. It, It really is giving me an opportunity to catch things that I missed the first time around or the second time around and to really connect the dots between one franchise to the next. And today we have got uh, a great one and that is, it's a smaller one, but it's Ant-Man. And uh, I think it's gonna be a good episode. I forgot how much I did enjoy this movie until I had a chance to watch it. Me too. I was, I was about to say literally the exact same thing. I forgot, I was like, oh, I really like this movie. And I wouldn't call it the best one or my or the most complete one or whatever, but it's definitely very fun. Yeah, you know, and I think one of the things that make made rewatching it now after you know five years of having Scott Lang and Ant Man in our lives really is to realize kind of the story arc that he has from his very beginnings all the way to the end. I mean, when we see him in Infinity Wars and Endgame, you know, he's a hero at that point. He's very well established. You know, granted, he's not at the level of Captain or Iron Man or whatever, uh, at least to the in-world audience. But to us, he's established as an actual hero. But to see, you know, it's funny because I rail against origin stories a lot. This is one of those times that I think the origin story actually does the character a lot of good justice. You know what I mean? Well, because it's not really an origin story. Because, like, an origin story would be, okay, it, it would be Hank Pym's story, where it's, all right, how do you, how does he create the particles? And then uh, he discovers all this other stuff. Like, th- that would be the origin story, whereas this, in a way, is an origin story, but it's it's so different that I think we forget that it is an origin story. Well, I think you're right, and I, I almost view... Scott Lang's arc throughout the entire 
MCU as almost like B-roll. I know that sounds really weird, and let me see if I can explain. He's not the number one hero. You don't. He's not ever going to be the headline-grabbing hero. He's a very important part to what happens in Endgame, clearly, right? But the origin story of what makes Scott Scott is partly here. The origin story of the Pym Particle, Hank Pym, um, what will eventually become Wasp, all of that stuff is scattered in other movies, right? So you, know, you think about Endgame when they go back in time and they, they go steal, steal a pin particle on that military base, right? You learn a little bit more about that. You got a little bit at the beginning of this movie in the 1989 scene with Howard Stark and, and with Peggy Carter, right? So I, I just love that when everything's important, nothing's important. I love how Feige, as they've started to tie all these individual you know, universes together, they realize that not everybody's going to be the headline grabbing superhero, that there's going to have to be some B superheroes in order to make this work. And just like the guardians are B superheroes, Ant-Man's a B superhero, Falcon's a B superhero. Yet at the same time, they're integral to the, the culmination we get in Endgame. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think this movie also does a great job at explaining why the Avengers don't just come in. Cause that's always been some, some people's criticism of mm-hmm. a movie like this where it's okay. Well, why wasn't Iron Man or Captain America called where, you know, uh, Ant-Man Scott Lang says we should call the Avengers and Hank Pym clearly is like, I'm not getting a Stark involved. And, and it's like, yeah, absolutely. It makes sense why he would not want a Stark involved with this. So it makes sense why he wants to do this on his own. And, and I, I, so you don't feel like, wait, this is a B hero. Why aren't we calling in the A team? Yeah, and I think literally the A team, the Avengers A team. But I'm bump. Okay, no, I, I think you're, and I think sometimes it's very easy in movies like this to categorize these people good, these people bad. Well, you got to realize that that's not always the case. That and and I think again, MCU does a really good job of layering you know yes that the avengers and hank pym they're all fighting on the same side but it doesn't mean they have to like one another right and even and even the the end credit scene of this movie the very end where they've got bucky barnes and you've got you've got steve rogers you got falcon and they introduced the accords now at this point because we're watching this in chronological order we don't know what that is yet right where i think when this had come out, uh, Civil War had already come out. So, I, if I'm not mistaken, no, this is we haven't done Civil War yet. I know we haven't done Civil War. I'm talking. Did Civil War come out in release date at this point? No, it. Uh, no, this it's was not. Okay. This was immediately after Ultron. Okay, so this, so the, so the, the order is right then. Okay, well, it still works regardless. My point is, it does a good job at tying that friction that we're going to see that even among the Avengers. Uh, there's a problem, right? Yeah, and and that, that it's not as always as easy as good people, bad people. It's there's politics involved. There's there's personalities involved. There's past mistakes involved, and that's what starts to happen when you start to have 28 to you know uh, 36 hours worth of content you have to start to dive a little bit deeper and i love how they're able to do that but with a lighthearted story too you know yeah absolutely yeah this is a much more lighthearted 
movie, and I appreciate that. So, Casey, what are your favorite parts, favorite characters, things like that? First of all, I think Cross makes a pretty good villain in this one. I, I like... He's not, you know, super bad, like Thanos level, Loki level bad. He's a guy who had ambition, who sought the affection of Pym. And Pym, you know, he's human. And uh, Hank Pym saw a lot in Cross. But then when, you know, his wife, you know, vanishes into the quantum realm and he spends the next 10 years trying to save her you know, some of that mentorship gets lost. So I really think that Cross plays a really good villain. I love the juxtaposition of of Hope and Cross kind of in the same boat, except Hope, she does, for better or worse, stay good, and Cross kind of becomes this power-hungry, you know, egomaniac. And, and let's be honest, he's not hell-bent on world domination. He's just an entrepreneur. You know, and and I like that. I like that after the events of Ultron, after the events of the original Avengers, um, after the events of Guardian of the Galaxy, where we're starting to see some of that space age craziness. I like that we're kind of bringing it back down to earth a little bit for for this episode. For this, well, it is an episode for this show for this movie. Uh, least favorite character, and then I'll let you do yours. Is it Lewis? Louis? 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 I cannot stand him. Oh my god. His stories drive me up a wall. What? I love those scenes. No, they're so annoying. Like, and, and I know they carry over to Ant-Man and the Wasp, and it's just, oh, they're just so not needed, man. So, uh, he tells me that she's working as a housekeeper now, right? And she's dating this dude, Carlos, who's a shot caller from across the bay. And she tells him about the dude that she's cleaning for, right? That he's like this big shot CEO that is all retired now, but is loaded. And so Carlos and Ernesto are on the same softball team. And they get to talking, right? And here comes a good part. Carlos says, yo, man, this guy's got a big safe just sitting in the basement, just chilling. Of course, Ernesto comes to me because he knows I got mad demons. Of course, I ask him, did Emily tell Carlos to tell you to get to me what kind of safe it was? And he says, nah, dog. All she said is that it's like super legit and whatever's in it, it's gotta be good. Those are some of my favorite parts. I love those oh, scenes. No, I can't. I can't do them. I, I just, they're just, he's so, he's an okay character, but then when he starts rattling on, like the whole end scene with Falcon and him talking in Falcon's voice or talking as Falcon, th- that just annoyed the heck out of me. Like, I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm just, I like funny scenes, but I felt that was like a jump the shark kind of moment for me. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I hear you. I hear you. No, that I, I, I love those scenes. Um, okay. th- those are, those are on my favorite parts. Um, All right. but I've got two other big favorite parts. All right. One of them is the Baskin Robin scene. Hey Dale. Come on in, pull up some chair. Three years at San Quentin, huh? You found out. Baskin Robbins always finds out. Look, I'm sorry, all right, but I. Baskin Robbins always finds out. (laughs) (laughs) Did you see? Okay, real quick. Did you see how clean his shirt and apron are? Yes. I could not get over how bright and shiny and clean his uniform was. I'm like, dude, you are not working at a real Baskin Robbins, man. That is not what they look like. Seriously. Anyway, yes. The Baskin Robbins. 
I'll take whatever's hot, just like you know, hot pretzels, <laughs> burger. <laughs> I love, I, I love this part when when the manager goes, you know, when he's firing him, he goes, "All right, look, this is completely off the books, completely off the record. If you do it, I, I'll look the other way. But if you want to take take the mango drink with you, go right ahead." And then the next thing you see him drinking the mango drink, he throws it in the trash. I just, I just thought that was great. So I, I, yeah, I'm with you. That was good. Yeah, that, that whole, I mean, that scene is two minutes and it's no bearing besides no. it shows how difficult it is to get a job, but it's so good. Yeah. And then the other one is, is kind of weird. And this is one that definitely I, I didn't realize until this watch through of it. And I really appreciate their portrayal of a blended family that so often in these types of movies where it is dad is a dad and mom are divorced and mom's got a new boyfriend or new stepdad and new stepdad he's the enemy and the movie ends with stepdad realize you know we, we realize how bad stepdad is and mom and dad get back together yeah whereas you don't the, the stepdad is not a bad guy from the no. beginning when when he when Scott comes into the birthday party and he's like what are you doing here i could arrest you right now but he's clearly not trying to do that he's just he's trying to protect the family yeah but understands why Scott is there then the end of the movie when they're all there for dinner and he's helping him out and but it, but and and i i just really appreciated that they show a blended family that is getting along and not one that is so adversarial. Yeah. I, I think that's a really good call out. Cause you're right. Too many times, you know, movies or shows will, will show that, that there's gotta be an enemy. And in this case, there's no enemy. They all want to be successful and they're all there for the, the health and well-being of Cassie and really the health and well-being of the entire family. And, and that's just, that's real society right there. I mean, when you figure more than, more than half of, of marriages end in divorce in, in America today, that's a reality that, that many families uh, have to deal with. Um, and, and the character who plays Paxton, Jim Paxton, the, the stepdad, uh, the actor is, is uh, Bobby uh, Cannaval. He, um, I, I could not place it how I knew him for the longest time. The first time I saw the movie, I'm like, Oh, that's the dude from everybody loves Raymond. Well, no, it's not. He actually plays uh, Bobby Cannaville actually plays uh, Will Truman's boyfriend in Will and Grace uh, in the original series. And in the reboot, he's the, he's the cop boyfriend in Will and Grace. And so, and he's an amazing actor. And, and I kept thinking, how do I know him? How do I know him? And he does a really good job being He's he's an antagonist that you don't mind liking, I guess, if that makes sense. Like, he's not the well, villain. He's just an antagonist. Well, I wouldn't even say he's an antagonist. He's just literally doing his job. Like, if, if I was a cop and I found out that the person that came in to talk to one of the people I've arrested is not a lawyer... Yeah, you would stake out the place and go talk to that person. Like that—that's that's, that, that seems like pretty cut and dry. And, yeah, and you, you never feel like he's. I mean, definitely he's because he doesn't know what's going on. It feels like he's interfering, but he's not doing it in any kind of malicious way. And and so that was something that I really tuned into in this 
in this watch through of it that he really is he, he really does have Cassie and Scott their well-being at heart. So I know I have one and I'm going to say it in a minute, but I want to see, do you have any parts of the movie that don't work for you? I am not as high on the villain as you are. Okay. Now you're, you don't, have, you don't cut any villains, any slack, do you man at all? <laughs> you're you're like the villain patrol, man. <laughs> I am the villain that polices all villains. Well, yes. uh, I will say your explanation has moved the needle pretty significantly on my opinion of Yellow Jacket. Okay. Where, yeah, like every villain can't be the big, bad, impactful villain. We need the smaller scale villains. And 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 so so I, I, I came into this with a note of like, rip the villain. Whereas... I'm 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 less inclined to rip the villain in this one. Um, it, it's I, funny you say you call him Yellow Jacket because even though he is obviously wearing the costume, he's wearing the uniform of Yellow Jacket. Never in my mind did it cross my mind that Yellow Jacket was the villain of this movie. It was Cross. It, it was yeah. It was like he Yellow Yellow Jacket to me would be a much more bolder, you know, again intense type villain. I don't think that's what I got out of the villain of this movie. I got Cross. Cross was was just he felt neglected over years and years and years of spending time with Hank Pym and being the entrepreneurial spirit that he is, you know, decides to go rogue and and you know, he, and and honestly, how parallel is this to our own world where there are people in government, people in business who could care less about the little guy and it's all about the money. You know, and yeah, that, I mean, that's kind of what I saw in that, you know? Yeah, it's something we resonate with. And I guess another kind of least favorite part, I've stopped watching the end credit scenes. I, I cannot tell you how much impact those were in the moment mm-hmm. and how little I care about them now. Yeah. I, and I think we mentioned that a few maybe a week and a half ago on the, on, uh, in our, each, each of our days, each of our days episodes here is that they really do mean something in the minute or in the moment, but now we just have a chance to watch the movie in order. And in fact, some cases, because we're watching them in this chronological order, the end credit scene in some cases doesn't even make sense with the way we're watching the movie, you know? Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's just, yeah, it, it doesn't have the impact on it. And that's fine. Like, if, if that's what they are, if they were for that moment, that's fine. I think that's something that's actually really, really important to just have something that was for that period of time. And that's it. Yeah. Um, think of how special that's going to be for us when we're showing these movies to the next generation yeah. where they're going to be able to see these, how we're watching them right now. But we were the ones that these end credit scene were the only breadcrumbs that we had to go off of for, for the next year, for a year yeah. sometimes or or more. Yeah, absolutely. So I do have one small thing that I did not like about the movie, and it is <laughs> the yeah <laughs> yeah look at you. It is the entire scene where Ant Man is fighting Falcon. I don't like the fact that Falcon was in this movie at all. Um, Hmm. I feel that it was, it was a betrayal 
to to Falcon uh, to to Anthony Mackie who plays Falcon. I feel that it was done simply to give him some screen time. I don't feel that it added any value to the story whatsoever. He could have gone to get whatever that thing was. I don't remember what it was, but that little box, he could have gone to get that anywhere. I know it does establish a little bit of, Hey, you were able to get in and get out of an Avengers facility. I get that, but I feel like it was, Hey, we just came off hot of, of winter soldier. And we have this really awesome character and, um, he didn't get a lot of screen time in Age of Ultron at all, so let's put him over here. Like, I just it felt it felt very forced to me, and I was not sold on the way that they used um, uh, Falcon in this. I think that uh, it was it was um, he was almost used as a as a comic relief in a movie that didn't need comic relief. Yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna agree with you mostly on there. Maybe I'm a little bit higher on the scene. Really, the only thing that that survives that scene for me is when it's "Hi, I'm Scott." Did he just say "Hi, I'm Scott"? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just it's I just Falcon is such a badass character. He just gets played as like a comic foil. Like you're telling me, you're telling me that this character that just kicked some major butt in captain america uh, the winter soldier like some major butt like completely derailing hydra's plan to for world to not domination gets his butt kicked by ant-man like it just it's not believable to me i i don't know it just it took me out of the movie going yeah this could have been without <laughs> yeah it, it does feel forced and i i agree that there would be there, there seems to be a better way and, and almost makes Falcon look like an, an inept hero. Yeah. That, I agree. Well, I mean, at the end when he goes, don't tell captain about this, like no crap, Sherlock. Like I wouldn't want captain to know about that either, man. Like you just got your butt kicked by a non superhero. Like, come on. <laughs> it, it also feeds into that lesser superhero. Cause it's like, well, if cap had been here, this would have never happened. And honestly, you could argue that that's not true. <laughs> Although I will say, if I'm not mistaken, in Ant-Man, doesn't isn't it Falcon who who when when uh, Scott Ling shows up to the facility in Endgame, he says something about regular size man is almost like a slap in the face to him or something. I I don't remember that. Line. I think he does. I think he says you're a little too late, regular size man, or something like that. <laughs> and and now it makes total sense why he said it you know, going back to this because of the fight, but I don't know. It just, it felt, it felt for us, but overall, again, I don't want to end on a negative note. I, I think it was a solid movie. I think for what it is, it's a great movie. It, it establishes this B character. Um, it was fun. It's a heist movie. It's an action movie. I, I think a, a family fun movie. So yeah, I think overall, you know, solidly middle of the pack for me, I, I liked it. Yeah, middle of the pack, closer, closer, like leaning to the top of the uh, more top half for me. Yeah. I, I just these were these were really fun, and I enjoyed that Marvel didn't take it too seriously. All right, friends, it is closing time, so we are going to say goodbye. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you are able to do so by going to the Beers and Ears Podcast Facebook group. You can also reach us on Instagram and Twitter at Beers Ears nineteen twenty eight. 
And you can also email us at beersandears1928 at gmail.com. Uh, we have got Captain America Civil War tomorrow. So Ooh. Captain America Civil War, definitely a lot more intense than this one. Make sure you watch it before tomorrow's episode. And we will see you again real soon, guys. Bye-bye. See you tomorrow, everybody.